The Politocrat is brought to you by the great people at Anchor. Anchor is such a great place to go if you want to get started in podcasting. And it's easy and it's free. Anchor, marvelous stuff, marvelous. And I'm so grateful to the folks at Anchor for getting me going with The Politocrat. If you want to get going and be heard on Apple, on Spotify and everywhere podcasts can be, Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to another edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore, and it is Monday, April the 20th, 2020. That was optimistic from The Sounds of Blackness. And today's episode really is going to focus on optimism and what it means to be optimistic, especially in these times. I want to start right away by saying to everybody out there who is listening that if you are going through difficult health experiences, please know that I wish you my very best, sending you my very best wishes for a speedy recovery And that I am hoping that you are able to defeat the adversity that is in your way at this moment. There's definitely a lot of people all over the world who are in some real pain, serious pain at this moment. So I just want to say again to anybody who has any difficult health outcomes, any kind of thing that they're facing or living with or fighting against, struggling with, I want to let you know that I am sending you all the positive spirit that I can from here in California, wherever you may be. And particularly with this virus as well that has ravaged and destroyed so many lives and upended so many lives all around the world. I want to also say to all of you, that I send you the most positive thoughts and the most best wishes that I can in your fight and that you are successful in defeating this virus. 
There have been a lot of great stories of people who have defeated this virus. People young and old, people who are able, people who are um, not able-bodied, who have disabilities, who have fought back and successfully won their battle. And so it, this can be done and everybody is sim, uh, situated differently. So I really do express my my best wishes for each and every one of you out there around the world who may be listening to this podcast episode. I really do wish you a, a speedy recovery uh, in this fight that you are undertaking and also to those who've lost their lives through health outcomes or including this virus my deepest condolences um, to the families of those who have lost their lives through this virus and every other kind of health situation i'm going to do the headlines a bit later on but let's get straight to it optimism And optimism in these times, what does it mean to be optimistic? I mean, I can tell you something. For me, I'm optimistic about this November, despite everything that's going on right now. I am already fast forwarding in my mind as we are entering the, approaching the end of April already. I'm already fast forwarding almost seven months from now. I'm fast forwarding, you know, roughly six and a half months from now to November the 3rd, 2020. And, I, and I'm thinking that this country will throw Donald Trump out of office at the ballot box. And there is going to be massive amounts of voter stealing. People call it voter voter suppression, but I'm going to call it vote stealing because that's exactly what it is. So I think there's going to be massive amounts of that going on this November. In fact, to put it crudely, there already is massive amounts of vote stealing going on because you've got Donald Trump who is allowing people to die. He is basically he is taking the lives of people with his lack of action on this coronavirus. So uh, as I'm speaking to you, we are at close to 42,000, if not more people dying. In fact, we're probably higher than that at this moment. And by the end of this week, we are going to be at 60,000 people. Six, zero, 60,000 people. That is going to be more lives lost in this country, the United States, than have and that were lost in the Vietnam War total. And the Vietnam War lasted, what, eight years, nine years, I don't know, 10 years, whatever it was, eight years. I don't even remember how long the Vietnam, I mean, time has just shifted so quickly. But the point being that around 57,000 American lives were lost during the Vietnam War, a war that we really shouldn't have been in. And in literally a matter of weeks, roughly, what, two months or so, just over two months, we are going to have a loss of life totaling over 60,000 people here in the United States. And the so-called models, 
which are almost always wrong, had forecasted 60,000 people losing their lives in the U.S. by early August. We are not even out of April yet, and we are approaching 60,000, and we will reach, sadly, 60,000 at least before the end of this week. So with that backdrop, a very ghoulish, grim, sad, and very disturbing backdrop, where does your optimism come from? How are you optimistic in these times? Is optimism a variable of privilege? Is optimism something that people who are doing well preach? Or is optimism something deeper? Is it faith-based? Is it based in just the good in humanity, the, the sunnier, more sanguine outlook that people rich or poor would have as human beings? I mean, let's break this down and put it into very stark terms. If you are a rich person or someone who is very comfortably wealthy and well-off and can go, say, six months at least. I mean, this is how I define someone who is comfortable, comfortable and well-off. You could go six months without working. How many people in the United States, for example, or anywhere in the world can go six months without working? And I'm, when I say without working, what I mean is no paycheck. That you're also not getting any paycheck for um, not working. You know, you, you're not a salaried employee, for example. But let's say six months. Could you go six months without a paycheck? I would dare say that nearly everybody in the United States, in the United Kingdom, in various other countries all around the world could not go six months without a single bit of income without a dime without a penny without a sh without whatever i bet without a euro without a i bet you no, there's very very few people on this planet who can and they don't have the savings to cover those six months well some people do but i would hazard a guess that the vast majority of the world could not go six months without earning any money at all so that's really how I define comfortable. People who can go six months without a single additional dime given to them by some way, shape or form, either by working, either by other, either, you know, you know, by, uh, you know, unemployment benefits, for example, or whatever it might be, disability benefits. So it's easy, I think, if you're rich and well off to talk to people and go, oh, yes, you know, it's optimistic. And, you you know, we have a really good optimistic outlook for how things are going to go in this society after this coronavirus has gone, after this COVID-19 has vanished, after we find, found a, a vaccine. You know, we have a really optimistic outlook. You'll get through it. You know, someone who has this coronavirus, for example, you'll get through it. You'll be fine. Just have optimism and positive thinking. And to a degree, optimism and positive thinking work. And I'm all for that, believe me. I, I've done several episodes on um, self-care and positive 
thinking and doing things positively and life affirming. Those are very important ingredients that I am not poo-pooing. What I'm simply asking, I think, on this episode is to look at the socioeconomic realities of what optimism is and if that can really be ignored. If you watch television news, TV news at all, cable TV news, they do on those channels have people who are going through dealing with this virus. And one of the things I notice is is that most of the people that they seem to interview, whether it's on CNN in particular, Chris Cuomo in particular, they all seem to be very much well off. They seem to be upper middle class. People who are... um, at least upper middle class. You look at their homes, you look at their, you know, the way they look, you look at their space. I mean, it doesn't necessarily tell the whole story, but it does give a glimpse into some of the things that we're seeing. For example, we're not seeing a lot of people who are poor being interviewed or being invited on to these TV shows who are dealing with this virus. We're not necessarily seeing a lot of the working class being interviewed on television for a segment dealing with this virus. We're not seeing working class or poor people being put on CNN by someone like Chris Cuomo or anyone else for that matter. We're, we're seeing typically middle class to upper middle class people being put on the air some of whom are talking about, yeah, you know, if you have this virus, you can get through it. It's going to be tough, but you can push on. Chris Cuomo has said that, of course, and he has coronavirus. And I'm not poo-pooing again the optimism of people who are going through this. But I guess what I'm really getting at again is, isn't it easy to be optimistic when you have lots of money and when you have good health care? I mean, if you are poor or if you are someone who is black, who is afflicted, of course, by the very real systemic racism that there is, the institutionalized racism, and that afflicts every black person, no matter what their economic status, by the way. So every black person is bombarded by daily by systemic and institutionalized racism and social racism and all kinds of racism, environmental racism. And if you are black and you are in prison, for example, or you are a detainee, you are, you know, someone from Latin America or from somewhere else, and you are detained in these concentration camps, taken from parents, taken from relatives, How can you be optimistic about anything? You don't even know where your next meal is coming from. You don't even know whether you're going to have a roof over your head next week. You may not have a roof over your head right now. You may be packed eight in a room. You may be in South Africa fighting for food as people are right now, literally, running into stores that they have 
been forced to break into to take the basic necessities that they are going to need to keep themselves alive. Where is the optimism? Would you expect them to be optimistic? And so that's why I think today I wanted to just explore that question. Is optimism a vehicle or variable of privilege? Is optimism a vehicle or variable of wealth? Is optimism a vehicle or variable for looking up in tough times? Is it blind faith? Is it just the genuine positive outlook in anybody regardless of their socioeconomic status? Is that where optimism is born from? Or is it really a buzzword for some people? Because there are people who are suffering right now who are models of inspiration. You've got frontline workers who are risking their lives. And my goodness, if they are doing this in such adverse circumstances where they could die tomorrow, shouldn't that also inspire us to do good things, to get out there and do positive things? Isn't that where the optimism comes from? Or is it something else? We could turn what I just said around and say, why are frontline workers working at this point with no protection still in many instances? Is there an optimism about that kind of work that they are doing on the front lines that keeps them going? Is that why you've got nurses and doctors who are risking their lives all around the world to save people who are sick from this virus. We've got over a, at least at last count, at least 100 healthcare workers in the UK who have died. At least 100. And in the US, God knows how many doctors and nurses have died. Is there a reservoir of optimism or faith or positivity that the people on the front lines are tapping into to get through? In an episode last week, I talked about nurses and their stories from the front lines, and I featured and included audio from a nurse who had been fired because she dared bring in her own mask and refused to work without a mask and those nurses down in Santa Monica, California who were suspended because they refused to work and care for patients without being adequately protected without wearing masks is optimism the right word to use in situations like that where you've got grocery store workers who are working still in some instances without any protection at all with very little protection is it optimism or is it something else that fuels them is it the fact that they need to make a livelihood 
that fuels them to persevere in these times? I find myself coming up with more questions than I do answers. Particularly on this subject. Is that word optimism an empty word? Or is it a word that really does define a state of being? Is it a word that we can platform from in these tough times? And use it as a reference point to see our way forward. To see a destination for us to get to. Yes, it's um, welcome back here to the politocrat. I guess it's, you know, it's, you know, optimism to happiness, I guess, are two different variables for at least for me, I think they are. Um, But I do find that even the way this virus and I've talked about this before in a prior episode when I referenced how we how do we talk about this whole virus, this this whole thing, how do we conduct ourselves if we do happen to speak to people on the phone or FaceTime? I know it sounds absurd that we're actually having a conversation about how do you talk to people? I would hope that you would talk to people with a sense of compassion and care. I've always believed that we must be more loving. Before this virus came along, before we had Ebola, before we had any of these pandemics, Before we had the HIV, AIDS pandemic, that's something I've always believed from, you know, I mean, my goodness, from since I was a, you know, a knee to a a knee high to a grasshopper, that the importance of love is everything. You know, we need love. We need empathy and compassion in this world and for each other, for the world, but for each other and to each other. And I, I, you know, when we talk about this, how do you greet your friends or your, your neighbor? You know, do you, do you, you don't, as I said in a previous episode, you don't say happy pandemic day. Because that sounds like something reckless and insulting and offensive and privileged. 
or just tone deaf? Do you say happy Monday? I mean, I know people who, when I would go in and say hello to them and say happy Monday, they would say, is it? Is it happy? (laughs) I mean, there are people like that. And I wonder if there are more people like that now as a result of this pandemic that is really serious. It's just very interesting to me. Um, I know that this has changed the way I have looked at, at things, I mean, to a degree. I do have a sense of optimism that we will prevail as a humanity, as a society. I think we will, we will, ultimately. However, within that optimism, there is a stark truth. Not that optimism is some kind of lie, but there is a, there is a deeper operative truth going on. And that is that people are going to continue to lose their lives. We are going to get through this, but at what cost? We are going to get through this pandemic, but how many of us will get through it? We are all in this together as the buzzwords go, as ad campaigns go. But we are all in this together very differently. Each of us going through this pandemic very differently from each other. Some of us are going through this and they've got children who are sick with this virus. Some of us are going through this and they haven't got any sickness and they don't know that they have this virus or they don't because there's no testing or there's very little testing as we know here in the US and in many other countries. Some of us are going through this having already lost a parent, a brother, a sister, a husband, a wife, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a child, or a friend. A dear friend, a close friend. How do we talk about being all in this together when we have some people who've lost their whole families to coronavirus and any other health situation and other people who haven't lost anybody, who haven't so much as had a cough or a sneeze in the last three or four months. So when we say that we are all in this together, what does that mean? That's part of this whole idea of how we talk about this, this idea of optimism. Yes, long term, I do think that we are going to get through this as we as a humanity have done in every previous crisis that we've had, whether it is on the African continent, whether it is anywhere else. But we've often got through these crises at great human cost. Thousands of lives lost, millions of lives lost. Look back to 1918 with the Spanish flu, a pandemic that killed about 50 million people. So there is this kind of serious situation that's going, it's not kind of serious, it is serious. It's extremely grave, for lack of a, and no pun intended, believe me. No pun intended at all. Just a few thoughts about this. I mean, optimism is 
I mean, happiness is infectious. It can be. But is optimism infectious? Excuse me for sounding a tad more philosophical than usual. But it is something I genuinely want to put forth to those of you who consider such things, who ruminate about subjects like this. Many of you may not ruminate on it at all. I don't know. Maybe you are adversely suffering and suffering to a point where you don't have time to consider questions like this. In fact, is asking the question about optimism, is that a function of privilege in and of itself? You've got people all over the planet who are actually used to being in adverse situations on this scale where you've had hunger, hunger for decades in countries on the African continent and elsewhere, famines for years. And they've had to, people on the African continent in some places have had to endure this for many years. So this pandemic for some of the people on the African continent is just yet another challenge for them. As I said, you've got people in South Africa fighting for food and breaking into stores because the food supplies that the South African government, Cyril Ramaphosa, is uh, promising or trying to deliver are wholly inadequate, wholly inadequate, haven't been delivered yet in some cases. And if they have been, they've been very meager. And you've got a population of people who have been starving, haven't eaten for days, for weeks. In Italy, you had a point where there was going to be some social unrest or it was threatened because people were locked down for weeks and weeks and even months and weren't allowed to go out and buy food, pretty much. And one guy on Sky News in a video had warned of unrest. You've got unrest going on in Paris right now, in the poorer areas of Paris, where predominantly Sudanese and uh, Middle Eastern people are living, people who immigrated to France, and the police are engaging in battles with them. And so this pandemic exposes, again, as I've said before, these systemic inequalities, systemic racism, systemic oppression, systemic violence against the most vulnerable and the most targeted. So where is optimism for them, for the individuals out there who are being pulled up by police and thrown into prisons or beaten by police or if you are a six-year-old boy in New York last week or a few days ago before then who had six police officers around him, one of which grabbed him and, and arrested him and detained him and handcuffed him on a New York City subway platform and his crime? Selling candy on a New York City subway train. Six years old, handcuffed, manhandled by police. There's video of this all over social media. Where is the optimism for that six-year-old boy, black boy? Where's the optimism for him? Where's the optimism for his family? So what is optimism? And what, what does that mean? What is the context of 
of optimism and, and, and optimism from whose point of view? It's something that I could sit here and talk about for a long, long time and probably not get any kind of answer. And I've been racking my head about this subject for weeks. What is optimism to you? Are you optimistic about what's going on in terms of are you optimistic that we will make it through these troubled times? Ultimately, I am optimistic that we shall. But what I do worry about is that we will make it through. But as we are already seeing, it will be at great human cost. Justin Timberlake can't stop the feeling. And I don't know, can you stop the feeling? How are you feeling, by the way? Um, for me, uh, you know, uh, trying to keep the optimism <laughs> spirit up. I mean, it's important to have a positive spirit. Maybe there's a big difference between optimism and a positive spirit. Because a positive spirit is important. And then we can get into what that means. When you've got this world around you completely crumbling. I mean, I guess one word that I haven't mentioned is hope. You've got to have something like that in your life, right? And does that have to be born of faith? I don't think so. I think those two variables can survive independently of each other. Because if you don't have hope, you don't have much of anything, do you? If you don't have love, certainly, you don't have much of anything. And if you don't have any sense of hope, forget it. I mean, it's, it's, it is a pretty done deal. But as they say, particularly in sports, it's the hope that kills you. It's the hope that kills. It's also said in politics too. I don't hope that Donald Trump will be booted out of office. He will be booted out of office. I know he will be. That I don't have to hope for. I can't wait for it to happen because it will happen. And while we can sit here and talk about, well, you know, maybe he won't leave yet come January 2021. Maybe he'll whatever, whatever. And yes, it, it may get to that, that, you know, these violent groups that he is already recruiting 
through these rich family-funded protests and militia-organized pro- protests may well be the ones that you know rear their ugly heads this November or next January. But I know that this guy's going to be voted out. I'm very confident of that. So some headlines now. And headlines, I got to say, there's so much going on. So much going on. I don't even, I, you know, it's difficult to even keep up with. The Los, in Los Angeles yesterday, on a Sunday, I don't know who would have been watching this in Los Angeles, but maybe someone would have. The State of the City address was given by the Los Angeles mayor, Eric Garcetti. And as you may know, and as I've talked about here, Los Angeles County is suffering horrendously from coronavirus infection and deaths. And most of those deaths are of the Latinx community. It's just staggering the number of people. We're now at least 12,000 plus people infected in Los Angeles County. That is a staggering number. And that is not getting enough attention. A lot of attention is being given to Gavin Newsom and, oh, he's he done a, such a fine job. Well, yes and no. He's done a decent job. And I know that there are lots of newspapers around the U.S. and uh, magazines in the, new, uh, the U.S. online talking and singing the praises of people like Gavin Newsom and my own mayor here, the one and only London Breed, who I think has done a good job as mayor of San Francisco for the most part. I've got some disagreements with her in some areas. And of course, you should have disagreements with politicians. There should be things that you and the politician you voted for may not see eye to eye on. And, you know, that that makes sense. Then you have to try to keep pushing them to um, let them know that you disagree with it and you want to see change. You lobby them. But there are, I do get a little bit uncomfortable with some of these puff pieces that get put out in the Atlantic and numerous other publications about, whoa, what a great job this person's done. When, by the way, we're not even close to being over with this pandemic. And you've got people talking about, have we reached the peak yet? You know, people on Sky News in the UK talking about, have we reached the peak yet? And you've got 100 healthcare workers in the United Kingdom dead from this virus. And that's of the ones we know of. And there's transparency problems here in California with the governor and other city and, and uh, local officials throughout the state. That's not being talked about enough. And we see Gavin Newsom on television the last week or two doing interviews. Why? Is it to puff up his national profile? Forgive my cynicism, ladies and gentlemen, everybody. Because he may be running for president one of these days into the future. I mean, they, that, I mean, who knows, right? But I find, I find it unseemly that that's happening. But Eric Garcia last night in a State of the City address talked about how, quote, I'm quote, almost quoting everything here. We've been ravaged. We've been, we are down, but we are not out. I wish I could tell you that the state of the city is strong, but we are facing these unprecedented challenges. This virus has absolutely devastated us. I mean, that's the way that Eric Garcetti, the mayor of Los Angeles, one of the most sanguine, well, 
well, I guess in some parts of L.A., one of the most sanguine part of the country. Right. There are people in Los Angeles. I mean, part of that stereotype, the Hollywood thing where the sun is always shining in L.A. Well, it's not always shining. The smog is always shining in Los Angeles. And granted, the sun is often out down there much more than it is up here in San Francisco. But for a mayor to talk like this, it's nothing and it's not an indictment of the mayor of L.A. It's the truth about what's going on. People are actually being honest in L.A. for once. Who knew? I mean, Eric Garcetti, and I shouldn't be making any light of this, he is telling you his city is really being hit hard. And it is being hit hard by this virus. Extraordinary to watch that video. You can go on YouTube and find it where he's giving his 30-minute speech and he's laying out what needs to be done, what measures he's urging, um, what things that he's told the public to do. And the public is really um, getting limited fresh air now. You know, he's closing things. He, he's done a good job, to say the least, but he is also providing you the truth about, beyond the job he's doing, about how things are going for the, the city. And it is not good. And that is mirrored in states around the country. You've got the rates of infection and coronavirus in South Dakota, in Nebraska, in Oklahoma, in Iowa, all going up. And why is that? Because the governors in all of those states did not issue stay-at-home orders, unlike the vast majority of the rest of the states in the country. And all of these governors are Republican governors. And when you've got South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem saying this is business ingenuity, to have people running back to work amidst the pandemic and then realize that the meatpacking businesses in her state are suffering major from this virus. You've got record numbers of infections now in the meatpacking business due to Christy Nome, the governor of South Dakota, saying, no, go to work. You can go to work. This place, this state is open for business. And hey, Presto, what could possibly go wrong? Well, what did go wrong and what happened, as you would expect, if you were living in a rational part of your brain, in the rational part of a world that says sending people to work during a pandemic with no testing is a horrible idea, is that the rates of infection spiked over 200% in South Dakota, 205% to be precise. This was not a good idea. The bump in coronavirus cases, this is from, the, uh, from CNN, is most pronounced in states without stay-at-home orders, as I just mentioned. Oklahoma saw a 53% increase in cases over the past week, according to data compiled by Johns Hopkins University. Over the same time, cases jumped 60% in Arkansas, 74% in Nebraska, and 82% in Iowa. South Dakota saw a whopping 205% spike. Governor Christy Nome of South Dakota 
you're doing a heck of a job. Maxine Nightingale, right back where we started from. Welcome back to The Politocrat. Putting a smile on a face. A smile means everything, by the way. And, you know, I've talked about hope and optimism and positivity and and those kinds of affirmative things that human beings need in these times. And whether it's a laugh, whether it's a smile, whether it's something funny on Netflix or wherever you're watching things these days, these things count for something. Over the weekend, we had Global Citizen, and I must pay tribute to the excellence of Global Citizen and all of the uh, celebrities and musicians who participated and the political leaders who came forward as well and put a smile on people's faces, put a lot of confidence and spirit into people, the can-do spirit that we are missing here in the United States and in lots of other places, particularly in the UK as well. And these things do count for something. So Global Citizen and Lady Gaga, by the way, thank you very much. She's raised now with her efforts, with getting all of these musicians and people around the world together in an incredible eight-hour concert. You had so many people from Paul McCartney to Elton John to Stevie Wonder to Michelle Obama to Laura Bush to Oprah Winfrey... I mean, it's just the uh, Billie Eilish. It's just incredible. John Legend and Beyonce. I mean, there's so many people. The Rolling Stones. I don't want to even leave anybody out now that I've started. But there's so many people. Elton John, if I didn't mention his name already, the, who, who, who were part of this. It was such an historic event. So good, Andrea Bocelli and uh, Celine Dion and Annie Lennox. And I could go on and on and on. It was one of those really inspiring. Sam Smith, you know, very inspiring uh, eight hours of great music, education, positivity. And that's what the world needs, you know. Um, It really does at this point. So, you know, there's so many other headlines, so many other headlines. There is an agreement apparently that's been reached in the House of Representatives um, with, uh, with the Speaker, Speaker Pelosi, rather, and with Senate uh, Democratic leader Chuck Schumer, along with Steve Mnuchin, about uh, an additional package for the small business payment protection. We had Shake Shack, a big business that had taken, what was it, $10 million or $20 million $10 million worth of money, they've returned it. 
And I urge all other big businesses to do the same. These franchisees who claim, well, we're small businesses because we've got maybe 15 of our employers in one city or state and then 25 in another and 30 in another and 14 in another, where combined they've got, you know, thousands of employees. They all, if they took money, they should all return it to that fund. While you've got these small businesses of less than, literally less than 10 people in the business who are starving, have got no money, did not get any money from that payment protection program because it was raided by these big businesses. And all of them should be ashamed of themselves. They all should. It's, it's absolutely uh, shameful. But that is what happens when you have a grift, cash and carry government. And I put that word government in quotes now because Donald Trump has made it really an oligarchy and has made it a plutocracy. And he's gunning for autocratic behavior. He's already doing that. Masha Gessen wrote a great uh, story, as she always does, in the New Yorker magazine when she talked about this. I think it was last week. And she talked about, you know, one of the things she says in that magazine story that she wrote is, you know, democracy's death um, is never uh, never announced. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. You know, doc, you know the death of democracy is, is never pronounced dead you know doc, democracy is never pronounced dead in the moment something like that and i've really botched that now sorry i really have totally botched that but you go to the new yorker magazine newyorker.com i believe is the web address and search for that article by masha m-a-s as in sam h-a gessen g as in general e double s as in sam e-n as in norris Masha Gessen, who has just really written some great books and great stories, great articles. And she talks about that with Trump. There was also uh, something over the weekend that I did not allude to. A very uh, sad story. Nick Costello, I believe is his name, and I hope I got his name right. Um, who is a Broadway actor, someone who's been on Broadway for a while, has made done some really good work. I think he's been on TV as well, actually. Um, had to have his right leg amputated over the weekend due to complications from the coronavirus. It was something that his wife, Amanda Klutz, had been talking about on Instagram over the last few days and weeks. Um, Nick Costello had been taken to hospital and had had some real severe complications with bleeding um, from this virus and he had clots and he had all of this stuff going on. They were giving him blood thinners, but it caused, it did the reverse to him. It actually caused more bleeding and it had in, he had internal bleeding. And unfortunately, to stop these clots and really to save his life, doctors decided to, you know, say, look, you know, you, we have to amputate your leg. So his right leg has been amputated and it was amputated over the weekend. I want to say, again, I want to send my very, very uh, best to Amanda Klutz and to Nick Costello, to her husband. Now, I, again, um, it's a very difficult situation. Very difficult situation. People going through all kinds of things. So, I do want to send my thoughts and my heartfelt prayers to 
Amanda and Nick. Um, what a situation they have to be dealing with and what Nick is going through. And there are lots of people, believe me, in this position who aren't famous um, who are going through these things. So I, you know, I could go, there's so many, believe me, I'm going to do some headlines in tomorrow's episode because there's so many headlines um, to get through and talk about. So many of them. But I do wish everybody a healthier, safer existence. And hopefully you are able to find something to pass the time away as we, many of us around the world, still are behind closed doors if we are fortunate enough to have a roof over our heads. So it's a very difficult time. And I do want to wish you all the very best in these times. We must persevere and we must continue to do life-affirming things. Let's exhibit the belief that we will get through this because I think we will. Even with the cost that we are going to be facing, with the cost that some of you have probably experienced. I know people who have this virus and I am really worried about them. Check in on people that you know, whether they have this virus or not, just check in with them. It does help. It does them good, but it will do you good as well, by the way. Make sure that you exercise. If you can, if you can take a walk or exercise indoors, if you can. Drink water. Hopefully it's not got lead in it. Like the, like it does in Flint and in Newark and in other parts of the country. We have to really take care of ourselves, but also... Look out for others and make sure that we do um, our best to protect ourselves with masks, with gloves, with scarves over our faces. Let's exhibit that spirit of we will get through this. If you don't have optimism, if you don't want to call it optimism, simply say to yourself that this time is tough, but I've seen tough times and tough times do not last, but tough people do. I'm Omar Moore. Thank you again. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of The Politocrat.